0: Yes, I knew Sister White.
1: We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Hey, it's a great honor to be talking with Michael Nixon. Welcome to the Spectrum Podcast. Uh, great. It's great to be with you, Alex. Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking with you in part because I'm going to see you in a few weeks, as will um, Spectrum community members that come to our conference down in Florida. And um, you're going to be there uh, leading a panel discussion. And I'd love to just kind of um, talk with you first about um, what you're uh, hoping to talk about Uh at our conference?
0: Sure. Well, well, first of all, you know, I'll just say thanks so much for the invitation. And I'm really looking forward to being with you guys. And I've actually heard from a number of people actually on campus here who I guess have either planning on being there or saw the announcements for the forum. And I guess I wasn't expecting the announcements to, to reach so broadly. So that actually sort of Of my excitement as well. It seems like you you guys have generated a good amount of buzz. And um, so, yeah, basically, as is talked about in some of your promotional materials, we're going to be focusing on identity. Uh, There's going to be two colleagues of mine that will be joining me in the panel. Uh, One is Pastor Sammy Reyes, um, who is local there in the Orlando area, and another is uh, Miss Danielle Bernard. Uh, who is a masters of international community development student here at Andrews university. Um, And so the three of us, you know, sort of from different perspectives uh, just for context sake, you know, myself being an African-American male with also Caribbean heritage through my mom, um, Danielle Bernard being an African-American woman, and then Sammy Reyes being a, a Latinx male, Latino male, we will definitely speak some from our, I guess, ethnic, racial perspective as far as finding how, you know, those identities fit within, you know, the Adventist, you know, paradigm or or how that has affected or maybe how it's not affected our um, interactions with um, the church. Um, And so for me in particular, I think I'm going to focus a lot on, um, particularly from a, you know, social justice activist perspective, how there, it's been a challenge for me sort of um, being able to stay true to that identity and the passion of wanting to seek justice and equity uh, really for all people. Um, but definitely in particular, um, you know, through the, the racial justice lens and wrestling with the fact that that doesn't seem to be a fit within, um, you know, the Adventist church, the Adventist culture. So that I'll, that ultimately affects sort of what it means to be an Adventist for me personally. And it's, it's kind of this wrestling between the two that often happens. And so that's maybe in a broad way um, or in a broad sense sort of the direction that, uh, you know, I'm looking to go. And, um, and of course, my colleagues will sort of, um, in, in a similar lens from their point of view, talk about how um, their passions for work, for, for justice and equity intersects with their Adventist identity.
1: That's great. Um, uh, I'm so glad you're bringing um, Danielle and Sammy. And I like how you're framing that conversation. Um, you used passion to talk about. Um, what you do, and you do so many things, um, working as an administrator on diversity and inclusion at Andrews, uh, speaking for Adventist groups, and also the Against the Wall project. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering what kind of fuels your, uh, that fire to do so much um, when, honestly, when we look around in American society and around the world, things can seem kind of bleak. Yeah, no, that's really a question.
0: Um, you know, we're in a time right now where I think that it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to find hope, to find, um, you know, the beauty um, in, in the midst of this sort of crazy life that we're living. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously in the political realm, I mean, it goes without saying, it's just chaotic. You know, it's, you know as fast as your Twitter timeline can refresh is basically how fast the, the muck is coming from Washington. And so, you know, from that perspective, it's just, it's, it's hard to really function without just sort of detaching a little bit, um, and, and, and trying to focus on your tasks at hand. Um, but I'd say primarily for me, uh, particularly as it pertains to, uh, the work that I'm doing intersecting with my faith identity is that I really have a big passion for reclaiming the Christian identity, reclaiming the Adventist identity even, because I believe it's been hijacked um, by, in particular, um, the sort of Christian fundamentalist. Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding a bit more of a, for lack of a better term, I guess right-wing conservative uh, sort of bent evangelicalism and, you know, to the extent that, you know, Adventism is connected with that. Uh, I know you guys have actually, I think you ran an article recently about, yeah. um, you know, Adventism's connection to, to evangelicalism and whatnot. And so I, I think that it's clear at the very least that we, our movement has been influenced by, you um, sort of the political bent of mainstream evangelical Christianity in America. And I think that largely to most people, both Christian and non-Christian, that becomes sort of the first picture that pops in your head when you think of the word Christian. And, um, you know, I, I, when I read, you know, the gospel and, and when I read the, the Christ, that us Christians are to be modeling our lives after um, I see this, this diff, I see this distance, you know, uh, I see a a clear disconnect there. And, um, so that's, that's a challenge for me. And and so I I feel a passion and a motivation to, uh, to sort of reset the narrative a bit and, and say, look, let's, let's look at the life that this Jesus, that we are all striving to be more like lived. And, um, through the motivation and guiding of the spirit, hopefully we can find some common ground. But of course, you know there'll be some differences in opinion and things of that nature. But I think the second passion is to increase the amount of civility in our discourse. Uh, I think that we have gotten to a point where um, you know it's more important to derogate an opponent as opposed and and the, the even using the word opponent, you know, as opposed yeah. to. Um, trying to um, dialogue with a family member, which the body of Christ is supposed to be um, a connected body of brothers and sisters in Christ. But then at the same time, not wanting the pendulum to swing too far the other way, um, pursuing a unity that does, that is not uniformity, um, mm-hmm. respecting the beauty of our diversity and our difference uh, in the midst of being a connected body. The fact that, God has created us all to um, play a different part within that body and, and without them all functioning in their own unique and special ways, uh, the body as a whole cannot function. And so I believe we've also sort of lost um, that that respect for one another to be able to pursue what Christ has called us to do, let's say, in our particular sphere. Uh, and it may look different than it does in another part of the world, but it doesn't mean that the same God isn't pushing us towards the building of the kingdom where he's placed us. So that's maybe a, a scratching of the surface. And then, and maybe this will lead to another question, but but more recently, um, I've really been motivated by this idea of wanting to create a bigger table in the Adventist church. Uh, that's motivated by a book recently written by a, a Christian speaker and author by the name of John Pavlovitz. Uh, mm. he, he wrote a book by that name, A Bigger Table. Um, and, and then he he followed up with the second book that he released more recently. Uh, but that, wor- that book really, um, you know, it, it pushed me, it challenged me, and it forced me to look at this Jesus who, um, who you know, obviously being a carpenter by trade, but but in his ministry, just how how much the table ministry was a part of who Jesus was and, and what he did, and and how inclusive his table was. You know, his table included um, you know a man like Zacchaeus, who many thought were was an oppressor, uh, but his table also included not just Zacchaeus and and members of the Sanhedrin and, and things of that nature, but it also included someone like Mary who um, experienced love, levels of oppression. And mm-hmm. so the table of Jesus being that place where the oppressor and the oppressed uh, can sit next to the same savior that they're in need of. Uh, that's a challenging picture. Um, but also just the idea that the, um, the table of Christ was just so open and so inclusive. And I do not see an Adventist table that's anywhere near as welcoming and, and inclusive as, um, as Jesus is in the Adventist church. And so, so those are, I think I mentioned maybe three or four things there, but just yeah. some competing passions that are informing, uh, some of the work that
1: I am uh, trying to do now. Well, thanks for the book recommendation. Sure. Um, hopefully folks will uh, maybe pick it up and read it and uh, they can chat with you about it. um sure. At the conference. Um, we do love books at Spectrum. (laughs) Great, great. Well, let's jump back a little bit. um, And if you don't mind Mm -hmm. uh, probing a little bit of your biography, do you mind just talking about kind of where you were born, how you grew up, kind of things you like to do um, as you kind of grew into your Adventist identity? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So I was born in
0: upstate New York and By using the term upstate, I mean anything north of the city, which we just basically consider upstate. (laughs) Uh, I was born in Poughkeepsie, New York. Uh, My dad was pastoring there on the Hudson Valley at the time. That's where he started his ministry. Uh, He is from Brooklyn, New York, originally. My mother, Sandria Nixon, his name is Timothy Nixon. My mother, Sandria Nixon, was born in Jamaica and migrated to... The States when she was a teenager and uh, grew up in uh, New York for sort of the second half mm-hmm. of her youth as well. Um, <clears throat> so they, of course, met at Andrews. And again, as I mentioned, he started his ministry in the New York area where I was born. Moved from there to Southern California, where my younger sister Camille was born, then moved to the DC area. So you're seeing kind of a coast to coast theme here. Uh, and, and then... In 1998, we moved to Bering Springs when my dad uh, accepted a call to be the administrative chaplain here at Andrews uh, during the famous Net 98 uh, Dwight Nelson, um, you know, um, simulcast yes. or, or evangelistic series all across the country. Um, and so, for me, I was going into like sixth grade at that time. That's probably the time when I'm starting to come into some of somewhat of an individual Adventist identity, you know, to that point, you know, my dad's a pastor. We're the, um, you know, you're the pastor's family. I'm clearly in church every step. This is kind (laughs) of like, there's no, there's no debate. There's no discussion. I live in this house. Okay. We're going to church. All right. I guess I'm going to church. And so, um, and not to say that that dynamic changed when I'm going into sixth grade, but at least mentally, As you can guess, I'm starting you know, the wheels are starting to turn a bit and I'm starting to wonder a bit more what this is all about. And um, for me, coming to to Berrien was an interesting um, sort of experience. Well, in particular, coming to campus here at Andrews, because, um, you know, it was at least in an Adventist setting, it was the most, you know, culturally and internationally diverse setting I'd ever been in. And um, experienced sort of worship in a way that I had not to that point. To that point, of course, my dad being mostly in regional conferences, predominantly black churches, coming from sort of a gospel background, um, mm-hmm. getting introduced to, you know, the, the CCM and, you know, seeing a, seeing a, a acoustic guitar up front at church <laughs> for the first time in my life, that kind of a thing. <laughs> so there were some definitely some some culture um you know, adjustments that I went through, um, and experienced. And I really think that my experience overall going through elementary school, going into high school, went to high school here, um, left for a couple of years, uh, for college. I did one year at Antillian in Puerto Rico and then a year at Oakwood university, then came back to Andrews and finished undergrad. Um, I think that whole experience really, um, Taught me a lot. I went through a, a lot of different things. Um, I experienced, you know, like I said, I experienced the beauty of a diverse culture, but I also also experienced some of the the drawbacks uh, because some, uh, you know, when you don't intentionally create an inclusive environment in the midst of diversity, um, you know, you just have lots of different cultured people doing the same things, you know, yeah. and, and so experienced that a lot here. Um, and, um, some of the oppressive results of that, some of the, um, you know, prejudice connected to that, which I didn't quite see and understand as, as a young person, but started to become clear to me as I got older for sure. And, and some other things began happening. And so, um, you know, I'd say that, you know, by the time I, you know, I of course, went on to go to law school and, um, I'd say my law school experience being outside of the Adventist bubble was the time for me where I really had to sort of um, I think it's David Asterix that talks about clearing your tablet of tr- of truths and kind of building back piece by piece um, really had to do that for myself and, and obviously did some evaluating of, you know, the things that I'd learned and, the, and our doctrines and things of that nature and, and was able to, think critically about those things. Um, and also while being in law school developed a real passion for justice. Um, it was really around that time where movements such as the Black Lives Matter movement and things of that nature become became much more prominent and, and a, um, a bigger piece of, of the national discussion with the wave of unarmed black persons and brown persons being murdered by the police, um, with really no, um, with really no penalties coming, you know? Um, and that was really an eye-opening thing for me. And I think really started to get me to think about, well, you know, what does my church have to say about these things? And, yeah. um, um, oftentimes that being met with silence with, with the exception of, you know, some different moments, as I'd say mostly from the NAD and different unions and conferences in the NAD, releasing mm-hmm. statements and things like that here and there. They've done a good job of that. But by and large, for the most part, not really seeing much of anything um, was really challenging for me. And, and really, I think, challenged my faith and really had me again starting to think critically about um the kind of faith community that we've built and, and um, what's important to that community and what is it. And, um, and that really started to push me to try to shift and change um, some of those different dynamics and, and things. And so um, one of the parts of, of that is, you know, co-founding against the wall, which I co-founded with Ty Gibson in, in, in 2017. Um, to speak with passionate clarity against walls of racial separation and division, um, both inside and outside of the Adventist church. Uh, you know, I believe we have a, a long legacy of racial division. Some of it is still tangibly with us, um, whether it's our, you know, racially divided conferences. Um, but there's a lot more that's under the surface that, that's beneath that. That informs that, and and, you know, to the point that if we were to just do away with that, you know, surface divide, that it really wouldn't go that far in dealing with the deeper rooted issues um, of, you know, a history of of racism and and a legacy of white supremacy that has really sort of governed our global movement um, since its inception, Um, or or at least for the majority of the time, we kind of moved away from some of those early um you know progressive mindsets and so um yeah that that's that's what motivated that and 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 so against the wall.org we have a, a series of articles that we run from there and we've done a couple of events here and there and of course in my work here at Andrews just trying to you know motivate our students and walk alongside my, you know my colleagues our employees fellow administrators to make this university the most inclusive place it can be. And and we're hoping that we can do some things here that hopefully can spur some, some global change in our movement. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I was actually at, by the way, thanks for sharing all that history. It's so fascinating to see the influences that affect our worldviews and give us Um, A kind of perspective into the Adventist community. Um, It's interesting you mentioned David Asherick, um, who comes out of the self-supporting tradition. Of course, Mm -hmm. he's been in in the denomination for a while. And also Ty Gibson, who has that history. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting. It's been interesting to me to see that folks who are kind of you know, have been fellow travelers with folks in the self-supporting movement, which tends to be conservative in its theology and right. its and its social practice. Um, can sometimes be interesting conversation partners on questions of race and identity. Mm. It, I wonder, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I wonder if it has to do with a little bit of their outsider status or their willingness historically to be critical of Adventist institutions in a way that folks on the inside aren't, you know, aren't comfortable or aware of. Yeah, I think that's a good
0: point. Um, you know, I, I think that um, yeah, the the. There's the old saying of you know I know where my bread is buttered and so <laughs> <laughs> so I think that sometimes for folks that are quote unquote in the system and it's interesting you know from time to time people sort of remind me like hey man you know you're you're a denominational employee and that's and I'm grateful for that I mean you know Andrews has given me a wonderful opportunity but in a weird way I, I guess I haven't really at least I, I haven't necessarily approached that as being a. Um, a burden or a muzzle. um, I've, I've sort of tried to look at it as more of an opportunity to help people to see or to, to understand that there's different ways to pursue denominational employment. Now, I think that, you know, I can't speak for everyone, different folks, you know, different structure, different folks, different, you know, depending on where you're employed. I think that also probably can affect the amount that you're able to speak on, different topics and things of that nature. But, you know, I definitely think that to your point, uh, folks who are self-supporting, um, there is a bit more of a freedom to speak out, but, but I will say that at the same time, you know, I think what, what I've been noticing and even sort of with some recent conversations that have been happening, um, you know, on social media now with the, these, these rashes of, um, you know, in particular with El Paso, with the the White yeah. Nationalist terrorist act that happened there, um, even folks that are self supporting, you know, that are speaking out for you know what they what they would consider common sense gun reform, there's a huge backlash, and there's a risk in you know if you if you are not sort of because sometimes when you're self supporting, if you're sort of seen as dangerous by the system, then it's hard to support yourself because then you don't get invited around anymore. And so there's always a, I think a risk, um, I think on either side, when, uh, you, you, speak out on these different issues. Um, and again, you know, I, I think everyone has to examine, you know, what the spirit of God is leading them to say. I think that always has to be the primary motivation. Um, and so it may not look the same for everyone, uh, but I know for myself that um, I, I, when when it's time to speak, I got to speak, you know, and obviously being thoughtful about the words that I use. Um, but at the end of the day, um, if, if God is calling you to, to, to lift your voice, then you have to do it come what may.
1: Well, on that note of, um, you know, lifting your voice, are there some things um, that you... Uh, and let's even get as specific as words, phrases, terms, are there things that you find are, are helpful? Just a few that you think are helpful for folks who want to engage on this topic, but maybe, you know, don't know, uh, Avenue into it. And are there things, phrases, you know, cliches that you think should be avoided that kind of become conversation stoppers or just annoying? (laughs) Well, um,
0: are you, are you talking more like, let's say on the topic of like race? Is that what you're about? Yeah, yeah right.
1: who are, exactly. Who okay. are coming to the conference who are kind of excited about this, mm-hmm. but maybe intimidated um, or just aren't familiar with, you know, they don't spend hours on Twitter. we right. Twitter figuring out what's, right. you know, where, where the conversation's at. Sure. So it's a good way for them to get up to speed on that.
0: No, I think that that's a great question. Um, so, I'll speak for myself, you know, as far as the conversation that that we're going to have, I'd say for me, Danielle and Sammy, or Sammy, Danielle and I, let me speak grammatically correctly, um, (laughs) um, you know, we all have pretty thick skin. And so we intend to create an environment where folks are able to ask um, authentic questions. What I would say is, you know, the most important thing Is when someone is sharing their opinion or their story, that they are intentional about understanding that that may be just their opinion, their view or their story. And that somebody else may um, experience something or or have a perception of something that's different um, and that they can learn from that. And um, I think that if the conversation is, is constantly rooted in our stories and what we have experienced, what we have seen, what we've observed, uh, one thing that we're going to start implementing more here at Andrews is, is what we call story circles, which is an opportunity for folks to come together and really do just that. We ask a prompting question, um, but it's a prompt that allows folks to share different experiences around Maybe a particularly difficult situation, like, for example, a time when their racial identity was challenged or their religious identity was challenged. Like, what did that look like? How did that make you feel? That sort of a thing. Um, So for the conversation we're having, uh, Danielle, Sammy and I are going to be transparent and open with where we're at, with what we've seen, with what we've experienced. And I, I think that what we try to do is we try to stay away from, um, explaining to someone else, uh, what it is that they've experienced as opposed to just allowing them to explain to you what they've experienced. Sometimes folks yeah. can jump in and say, well, yeah, I, it sounds like you thought that was that, but I think that it was actually this, um, you know, that kind of thing isn't helpful It's it's not going to be productive. It doesn't help us get anywhere. Um, I mean, there are obviously like some racial slurs and things like that, which we obviously want to avoid. But I think that's pretty self-explanatory. We will be using phrases, for example, like, you know, black, white or African-American or Latino or things of that nature. Those are descriptive phrases. I know that sometimes people have, you know, challenges with the fact that, you know, people use those phrases. You know, labels, you know, they maybe come from the school of thought of, hey, we're all the human race. And I want to assure everyone, yes, we do believe that we're all from the human race. But there, of course, are different experiences that, particularly in this uh, country, that different parts of that human race have experienced and suffered due to their appearance, the color of their skin, their gender, uh, maybe their sexual orientation, whatever the case may be. We know that those things, in and of themselves, are not the totality of any one of us, but they can be useful tools to help us explain the things we've experienced. And so, for that reason, we will use those categories. Um, and so, I hope that that's not too challenging for folks that attend um, uh, the conference. But but we are, you know, doing it in that spirit. And so, you know, we we, we want to do that. We want to express that on the front end. And, and we'll say, you know, we'll say this as well for folks that do attend, uh, we're not putting ourselves out there as the experts on, you know, all of the best language that there is to be used. So if, if one of us use a phrase or a term that's challenging for anyone who's there, I'd love for them to be, uh, to feel comfortable enough to share that and to, um, and to ask us, hey, you know, I'm having a trouble with that thing you said, and we can stop and have a quick convo about it, and, and hopefully, in that way, we all learn together, um, you know, some better some better ways to approach it. So, uh, yeah, I hope that covers it for for the most part from that yeah. front. But again, we're just hoping to have a, a open, honest dialogue, and, and then for that second hour, we're looking forward to hearing hearing from folks, their experiences and answering any questions that they may have.
1: That's great. I am. um, I say this with deep respect that I just love how you frame the conversation. And I think, um, you know, the folks that I know coming um, I think are really looking forward to a conversation of this type. So thanks. Thanks for doing that. No, awesome. Um, Let's do one last question here. Sure. Um, Sure. I've just this summer, because of all the terrible things that are happening, yeah. I'm, I'm always looking for a little hope. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if there's, uh, you know, an anecdote or a thought, something that's uh, keeping, keeping, giving you hope, um, you know, in these times. Mm, that's really good. Um, you know, for me, I,
0: I think it's just, you um, you know, I, I think of God. You know, and and this sort of goes to maybe expanding. You know, your picture of God. And so, for me, I, I've, I've been in a season where I am trying to experience God much more as an artist, mm, and, yeah. um, and and because there's, you know, I've gone through different phases in my life where God has been more of like a um, a taskmaster: do this, don't do that, and all of that's just sort of informed by maybe the faith communities I was in and things of that nature. But as I've gone into adulthood, I've just been able to see a God that's just so far outside of the box that I have drawn or the box that I've painted. Um, Seeing him as an artist and and trying to get tapped into um, the masterpiece that he's creating, whatever that may be in the midst of, you know, the darkness and in the midst of, um, so much confusion at times and pain, the understanding that that God is um, just there painting something beautiful and trying to um, each day strive out and, and see what that is. So for me, I oftentimes see that through the eyes of my four-year-old daughter um, and the way that she's seeing the world um, I see it through our students. I see it through my colleagues. I obviously see it through, you know, my wife and, and other members of family. Um, and, and so I just implore folks because it's it can be tough. I mean, particularly being connected to to justice work and, and trying to stay informed. It can get very depressing, um, very, very, very depressing um, on a day to day basis to have to process all of the things that we're taking in. Um but again, just just seeing God for um, trying to just go deeper and see what it is that He's creating and what He's wanting to create through me on a daily basis. Whether that's um, just speaking a word of encouragement to someone who's near me, or uh, speaking out on an, on an issue of oppression that you know I see across my feed, or helping to meet the need of someone in my community. You know, that's part of the masterpiece that I think he's creating um, as, as, as the artist that he is. And then again, uh, just imploring everyone to just create bigger tables around them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, this and this may be a little controversial for us to end with, but, you know, I think in the Adventist church we've we've created and I think I'm, I'm not necessarily going out on the limb saying this. Um To use two pol- politicians just for example's sake, you know, I believe we've created a table in Adventism where there's a somewhat comfortable chair for a person like Donald Trump, uh, but there is hmm. not a chair for someone like Pete Buttigieg. Hmm. And when you hear the words and, and the things that those two persons are saying and compare them, and then think about the fact that at our table, uh, you know, largely speaking as a denomination, that there's a chair for one and not the other um, that can't sit well with you, if, if, no. you, if you really think <laughs> about that on a deeper level. Um, the fact that, you know, you know, you know, women pastors like my wife in some parts of this church are, you know, are not recognized for doing the same thing that others are doing, um, you know, that, that can be extremely depressing on a level that I can't even understand as her spouse. Um, but again, reaching out for the beauty that he's creating still through ministers like her, who he's called, um, and then us standing alongside them and creating those spaces for them to do what he's called them to do. Um, yeah, I just believe that again, um, you know, they're there's a there's a God who is creating things everywhere and he just needs us to be his vessels to help him continue to create that beauty wherever he sees fit. And so uh, that's what I, that's, I guess, my charge to, to everyone who's listening. And I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with them you know, later this month about how we can build more of those beautiful things
1: together. It's a great note to end on building beautiful things together. Mm. Thanks a lot for uh, talking with us. Sure, thanks for having me. Take care, bye bye. All right, take care. Yes, I knew, Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it.